Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Kiola Rosella is the director of one of Fangoria's newest acquisitions, Porno. Porno pits a hapless group of upright religious and abstinent teens against a deviant sex demon who they accidentally release by watching a satanic porn film one night at the theater they work at. Porno delivers laughs and scares in equal measure and is a downright blast of a movie. Porno is out now on VOD, and I highly recommend you all check it out. Porno is Keola's feature debut, and we get into the ins and outs of low-budget filmmaking, gore gags, and a particularly um, nutbutt sequence from porno here without further ado is porno director Keola Rossella first of all congratulations on porno that was such a blast I'm a kid of the 80s Thanks, and 90s man. so uh, Encino Man was one of my favorite movies of all time <laughs> yeah Pauly Shore was like a hero of mine but yeah I love that movie I, I was one of those ones that I just I basically melted the VHS from just re-watching it all the time yeah yes yeah. So yeah, yeah, that yeah. was an awesome little shout out. Um, so how did porno come about to begin with? It seems like uh, a, a very, very specific and, tr- and close to your heart kind of a story. How did how did the movie get made? What was the the inception for the idea? How did uh, how did what we know as porno come come about? Yeah, definitely not. Um, it was not definitely not made in the typical way. Um Basically, I had gone to film school with the two guys who were the writers, and we were living together um, through a big part of film school. And so, you know, um, it was just a lot of nerding out and eating pizza and talking about films and being total dorks. Um, But after film school ended, I stayed in New York. We all went to Columbia University, the grad program there. Um, And I stayed in New York, and I was doing freelance work and writing. I was writing what? Uh, I was like considering to be uh, what would be my first feature. Um, And they moved out to LA and they worked as a writing team and they were, they were doing writing stuff. So it was going like that for maybe about a year or so after we graduated. And um, uh, I was doing a lot of freelance work and sometimes that kind of crowds uh, the work that you actually want to be doing, you know, just trying to get by. And so I had done a bunch of infomercials. I was like doing editing and special effects and stuff. Yeah. And so I had done a bunch of infomercials and had amassed enough money to like stop doing freelance work and, and really like drill down on my script, which I was excited to do. Um, and right around the time that I was kind of like saying goodbye to freelance stuff, I got a call from Matt and Lawrence, the writers and, um, uh, <laughs> our other classmate Chris Cole who who's the producer of the film um they called me uh, all three of them were like do you want to make a movie uh and I was like yes obviously yes uh and they're like uh okay come out here we're gonna make a movie and I was like what well what's the, what is the movie <laughs> and they're like we don't we, we don't know yet it's a horror movie and I was like what and I was like do, do you guys have a an idea and they were like no <laughs> But but if you come out here, we can make a make a film. And I was like, is this real? They're like, if we move fast, it's it's real. And so, uh, yeah, that was that was kind of it. That was like, you know, almost the length of the phone call was that. Um, 
but so th- so Chris uh, knew this financier who was like interested in making a, a super low budget horror film, but it, the stipulation was that it had to be done within a certain time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I booked a ticket that day and flew out to LA. Um, and uh, yeah, we we hold up in a uh, Airbnb for a week. We outlined the script and then they wrote the first draft in four days. Whoa! So that was like, and then we, you know, we worked on the script a little bit, but but basically that was like July, August, and then we shot the film in October, November. Oh wow! So you so guys was, really were moving so, fast. Yeah. So there was like there was like no movie in July, and then we had finished shooting the movie in November. <laughs> um, what was great was that uh, Matt Lawrence, because they're writing a team, they they work on so many different kinds of things, but their their focus has really been, um, a, as far as like features go, uh, like horror ideas. Mm-hmm. And so they had this like bank of log lines, basically of like, oh, isn't this a funny idea, or isn't this a, you know, can this be a good premise? And one of them was this idea for a haunted porno movie theater. Um, in Times Square. Mm-hmm. So I think originally the, I, the kind of like seed of the idea was that, you know, it was set in like Giuliani era, um, New York. Where oh, nice. The last of, of the porn theaters. Times Square. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and these like, uh, suburban kids who have never seen any porn, um, kind of make a pilgrimage out to Times Square to kind of, to check out a porno theater before they all get shut down. And it turns out to be a haunted porno theater. So that was kind of, that was kind of the, the, the basic seed of the idea that we, we, uh, we chose from their big bank of ideas nice. to, to spin out into this thing. Cool. Cool. And so you that's, guys, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it came about. Nice. And you shot in New York, right? Not in the city, yeah, but so, you shot. Yeah, so originally we were going to shoot in L.A. Like, you know, the idea is I would come out there, we would write it, we would shoot it out there. Um, I'm from Southern California, so, you know, in my town there is this kind of like, uh, I grew up going to this like single screen uh, classic like movie theater, small town movie theater. Um, And so we were like, oh, maybe we'll shoot there. But the problem was that we couldn't find a theater that was not so run down that we had to drag the entire thing or renovate the entire theater. Okay. And we couldn't really use a working movie theater because it would be too insane. Right. right? Like, and movie theaters run year. I mean, except for pandemics, they run <laughs> year round. Right. So, uh, we were just kind of, you know, hustling to try and find a place to shoot. And there was a, a bit of luck. I feel like there's a, this, uh, this, this weird little movie was kind of blessed with a lot of luck, but at, uh, at Columbia, there are three tracks. You can be a writer, a director or a producer. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the producing track, the producing faculty would bring in uh, the president of AMC, not the theaters, but the network, okay. uh, who was a friend of the faculty. And he would give a lecture about TV production and, and all of that stuff. And, um, you know, was super friendly, friendly with uh, the, the students and and um, very nice. And and uh, so our other producer, Sarah, uh, reached out to him 
because he, it turns out he owned a movie theater in Greenport, Long Island, hmm. uh, which was seasonal. So oh, it's, a, it's a seasonal, it's a seasonal town. So it's closed during the winter. So that's how we, and he said, he was like, yeah, you know, because of the Columbia connection was just like, yeah, sure. You guys can shoot there. And we're like, can we paint the walls and do weird stuff? And he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. Nice. He thought it was, the, I think he was, he was like very amused by the whole thing. Um, oh, that's gave awesome. It to us for basically nothing. And that's how we ended up in Greenport, Long Island instead of, uh, you know, LA. Oh, cool. Cool. And how long was the shoot? How long were you guys out there for? We were out there for, I would say, I don't know, a couple, maybe three weeks before we started shooting, just doing uh, prep. I mean, I was living in Brooklyn at the time, so a lot of it was just like going back and forth, yeah. driving back and forth to, to Greenport. But, but the shoot was 22 days. Okay. Got it. Cool. Yeah. And I think for me, one of the most fascinating things was the movie within the movie, the, uh, mm-hmm. the actual satanic porn film that they watched. It would visually, yeah. it was just, st- I wanted like a feature, the weird pervy horror fan and me wanted a feature length version of that. <laughs> Can you talk about the influences of the movie within the movie? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, you know, the, the idea, basically the premise of the film is, you know, these kids find uh, an old film reel and they watch it and they think it's pornography, but actually it's like a satanic film. And so we we wanted something that, you know, these kids who are very innocent, kind of like sexually repressed um, and sexually inexperienced kids would not immediately identify as satanic. And so we were um, thinking about Kenneth Anger. He was like the kind of like the, the main influence who's a queer Satanist um, experimental filmmaker okay. and the definition of pornography has shifted throughout the years, but, but, but definitely like you wouldn't watch that stuff today and be like, Oh, this is pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, you might watch it and be like, Oh, this is satanic. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but, but we felt like, like if these kids had watched a Kenneth Anger film, they might be like, Oh, this is porn. When really it was like something satanic. Got so, it. um, he was the, he was the really, really, uh, the big inspiration and, uh, in, in, uh, in, in creating that film within the film that was, so that was from the conceptual level and the films that we looked at were invocation of my demon brother and inauguration of the pleasure dome and well, um, all which you can like just watch in their entirety on YouTube. Right these are some of the greatest movie titles I think I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, so yeah, that was a big inspiration. And then when I was, when it came time to, um, to actually like put it together, I, I, I edited the film as well. Nice. Really cool. So in terms of your actual research, how um, how deep did you dive into actual demonology? It seemed like it was pretty well researched, the idea of, you know, a, a succubus and like that. Did you delve into some unholy texts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think we just we did a lot of uh, Googling. Um, and it, I mean, I think that kind of like the, the big succubus movie is probably... Um, Oh, what's the Karen Kusama film? Um, um, Jennifer's Body. Um, Jennifer's Body, right? That's the kind of like the best, most famous like succubus movie. But but like it doesn't um, really deal with the like <laughs> mumbo jumbo kind of stuff that we're <laughs> that that that, that uh, tickles us. So <laughs> you know, we kind of were just we did a lot of googling, and there's a, actually there's a, a lot of weird Reddits in online communities where people talk about like summoning a succubus Whoa. and, and, 
and and interacting with succubus uh, uh, creatures and stuff like that. And it's it's very it's very strange. But the the mythology is you know it's a little bit thin, and so we were just kind of like we're pulling from a lot of like online stuff to get ideas, and then uh, kind of like. Uh, you know, compose, taking that and like composing that and stuff as well. Really, really cool. Did you ever get into any territory that felt unsafe where you're like, ah, oh, this is a little too intense or this is too uh, unholy or <laughs> did anything make you uncomfortable? Uh, <laughs> like, you mean like something was too satanic? Yeah. Um, or you were afraid you were going to awaken something just by reading it. <laughs> no, no, I don't think we ever got there. I mean, I th- you know, if, if you look up the kind of like, um, the origin of the idea for the succubus is super interesting. It's like a, you know, it's the idea is that this uh, creature that like um, steals the seed of, of men, um, basically. Mm-hmm. And then there's the the kind of like male counterpart, which is the incubus, which is uh, the creature that like takes this seed and, and plants it in women and right. impregnates them. And it, it, you know, it's all a kind of, um, uh, a kind of like fairy tale or like metaphor for like, uh, I don't know. I think like, you know, men who like have uh, wet dreams or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or, or women Sounds who about have right. like unplanned or women who have like unplanned pregnancies. And so, okay. you know, it felt kind of like the origin of, of this, these kind of creatures and, you know, the, their kind of function in morality um, just felt uh kind of like a right fit for our, our characters but no there was nothing nothing ever like super satanic where we felt like um we were crossing some sort of like dark boundary although <laughs> there are a lot of uh <laughs> i really feel like the venn diagram of like um, people who post on uh these weird reddit forums and and like incels are like a <laughs> some sort of it's like it's a it's a pretty pretty heavy overlap yeah <laughs> That could be your sequel, doing oh, something yeah. about the incel Reddit the succubus community. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. So obviously there, there was a lot of 90s love in the movie. Were there any kind of core 90s classics that you felt were at the heart of this movie that were sort of, you know, had that the soul of a certain 90s movies were reflected in this movie? No, I mean, I feel like the the um, the, the kind of inspiration I I had was um, the movie The Lost Boys, which is a oh, I think yeah. maybe an all time favorite horror uh, movie of mine, um, uh, and The Breakfast Club. But that's like an eighties <laughs> movie. I, I don't <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think that like um, I'm definitely not like the foremost historian on on horror films but it it feels like um in the 90s horror films became a little bit more self-aware mm, you yeah. know kind of like leading up to uh scream which is you know obviously like the most kind of like self-aware self-referential mm-hmm. um horror movie. but but yeah i mean for, for me for me the inspirations were like lost boys and um and Breakfast Club and definitely um, Evil Dead. It's so funny because I, I had not seen Evil Dead in a while and I, I I rewatched it and I was like, oh my god, we just we just made Evil Dead. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, the girl on the second uh, floor you know, was that? did this exact same thing. 
<laughs> but but yeah, I mean, it, I, that for me is like an all-time uh, great film, and, and especially like the sequels, and they're blended like uh, horror and comedy. Yeah, they're big inspirations. I know for uh, Matt Lawrence, um, Super Bad was a was also like a big, I think, kind of influence as well. Oh, nice. Well, speaking of horror and comedy, it's um, it's kind of rare to have one that works on both levels. It seems like it's it's a really difficult balance because I mean the movie was did have some legitimate scares in it, but it also was was really funny at the same time. So it was one I've heard in the past that the ideal balance to make horror and comedy work is eighty percent scary, twenty percent funny, and uh, the movie just felt really beautifully balanced in terms of horror and comedy. So I was wondering how you approached that, how you approached the humor, but while also making sure it was legit legitimately scary i think that a lot of the humor just is inherent to the premise right so i think that i don't know that we what was the ratio you said 80 20 80 20 scary to funny yeah yeah we may have uh, flipped the ratio on that one i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i mean i hope people uh find it both scary and funny um but yeah i mean i think that like there was uh, maybe the intention to to make it scarier, but then once we started writing it, it just came. It just you know some some things are just grow organically, and yeah. so um, it, it's maybe the benefit of not having a lot of time to rethink what you're, you're doing because hmm. we were kind of like running the entire time. Like, you know, it the 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 draft that came out, I was like, oh. Well, I guess this is going to be a lot funnier than it is scary. Um, <laughs> but as far as, as as far as like, you know, my approach directing it, I think that, um, you know, I just tried to, uh, because the, the, the premise is so crazy, I just had the actors play it straight mostly. You know, yeah. I, um, uh, I, I love like Airplane and Naked Gun and all of those kind of like, you know, frontline like we're being funny kind of movies but uh uh a lot of the humor that i really like and i think the humor that is in the script is is uh, um is kind of everything is is played straight and earnestly and and um and uh the humor comes from the circumstances yeah was that a note that you gave the actors from day one like listen we're this there might be some funny subject matter here but you guys all have to play it straight in order for it to work no, I mean, I think I think that also happened organically. I, you know, I think we did a a table read the night. I mean, you know, we we cast the actors, and I didn't, you know, one of them I hadn't met in person. I basically cast uh, the 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 actress that plays Chaz um, over Skype. Oh, cool! <laughs> because we because we had a, a, another actor fallout and. Um, and I didn't meet her till the day before we started shooting. We did this table read and we, we read it through and it was just, you know, I, I think the characters, uh, the way they're written, they're so sincere and a lot of, and, 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 um, uh, you know, innocent and a lot of the humor comes from it. And I think they've really keyed into that. I, it wasn't until, and this wasn't even a direct conversation, uh, with me, but one of the other actors told me, but, um, we had uh, we staggered the arrival of the actors based on you know our shooting schedule, and so uh, the actor uh, who plays Mr. Pike, Bill Phillips, came in, and we'd already been shooting for like a week or two. And he he asked the other actors, he's like, 
tonally, what are we doing here? And they were like, oh, no, we're playing it completely straight. And he was like, oh, okay, okay, good, good, good. Because I think that, you know, you read some of the stuff that's in the script and you're like, well, you know, there's a way to make this, like, very cartoony. Um, and it's not, you know, it just, I, I think, wasn't really the, the, the tone that I wanted to go for. Gotcha. And wasn't really the intention, uh, you know, of the writers when they were writing it. Nice. <clears throat> so one thing that you touched on earlier that was, was interesting is the idea that since you guys had such little time to get this thing written and then produced and then ultimately made is that it sounds like the script was able to have a purity to it that if had you had more time to rewrite it and rethink it and, and potentially even overthink it may it possibly could have been watered down. I mean, it had like a real kind of fierce energy to it. And I've heard in the past, and Clive Barker is a big proponent of just always get the first draft out as fast as possible because it's the closest thing to the original idea. Did you find that moving fast was beneficial for the movie? Yeah, I mean, what's great is, you know, given infinite amount of time, you can, I think, just forever weigh one, you know, one decision. Um you know, and, and making a film is making a million decisions. Right. And so um, just having that kind of pressure to, you know, just constantly being like, yes or no, this way or that way, um, knowing that, you know, ultimately we're going to have to go like shoot this thing in a, in a very small amount of time. I think really, really uh, focused everyone and, and, and uh, you know, it, it was a lot. It was a lot of pressure, but I think that it, it ultimately I benefited the film. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Cool. And I noticed that Sundance was somehow involved in the production of the film. Is that correct? The Sundance feature film program. Yeah. 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 So um, I. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's it's funny. So we were already in uh, post production, and um, Chris, our producer was like you should apply for the Sundance editing lab um and I was like oh that's interesting because we were you know we were getting to the point where we were you know it was, we had a rough cut and we were showing it to people and the idea of like taking it to a lab especially because we all come out of film school so this idea of like workshopping things and and uh working with mentors is something that comes you know very naturally to all of us I was like oh that sounds super appealing obviously Sundance the pedigree there is uh, great and renowned. And so we were just like, I, you know, I was super excited. So I submitted to that and um, we did not, get, we did not get in, but um, <laughs> they were like, we don't really have a spot for you here. Uh, they would later tell me that they were like, we don't really have advisors who would, who advise on this kind of movie, <laughs> um, uh, which, you know, to their credit and so then they recommended that i, I apply to the music uh and sound design lab um and Ooh. that i got in there which is this amazing program where they have um composers um apply to the program and then they have filmmakers apply to the program and then they match a composer with a film oh that's super cool yeah and then you go to the fly to the skywalker uh ranch no way stay there and stay there for 10 days and they they assign you a sound designer who works at Skywalker. Holy um, shit. And it was it was just an unbelievable program and like the, it, I felt like um you know obviously 
like I said before, like this film has, has had a lot of luck and I felt so lucky that the people there were so incredible. Um, that's how we got ultimately ended up with the composer for our film is uh, Carla, this incredible uh, musician and, and uh, songwriter um, who I was paired with. And, uh, and uh, it was great. So you just, you pick a couple segments of the film and then they, uh, um, you work with the composer and they compose a piece and then they have, they live score it for you. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's incredible. So um, that is how uh, Sundance uh, was involved with our film. And, you know, I think that any filmmaker I would suggest, you know, if you can apply to that program, cause it's, it's unbelievable. That's cool. Yeah. I know I was going to ask about the score because the score, it was like exceptionally well done and it had an iconicism to it as well. The score was awesome. That's really cool though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Carla is uh, incredible. And, you know, we really benefited from, you know, like having that environment to kind of just explore different sounds and tones and then also getting feedback on compositions and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. um, it was it was it was incredible. Definitely, our film was the odd man out at that program. <laughs> there were so many like, I mean, they their you know their curation is incredible, and there were so many amazing films there, just like super uh, things that you would consider like important films. Right. <laughs> and then there was our like ball busting horror <laughs> horror movie. So um, I definitely felt super lucky. Um, yeah, that's super. But, cool. but a little bit like I don't know. Maybe we're more trailblazers. Maybe they'll accept more uh genre films there yeah yeah it sounds like you guys might be kicking the door open for the rest of us that's awesome yeah, yeah. well speaking of ball busting uh, the practical effects were uh, were really really well done and you know don't want to spoil anything but there is a centerpiece practical effect that is uh for lack of a better term ball busting um <laughs> how did that whose idea was that how did that come to be it was uh it was graphically realistic i didn't look away for a second but i was like damn that actually looks like <laughs> the real deal i'm trying not to spoiler alert it too much but uh yeah how did, yeah, yeah, yeah. how no, the I mean, hell did you get away with that so the, so the, the, the idea for the that particular gag just came from a an offhand uh, text message that I sent to Matt Lawrence. I was just like, you know, such and such has to happen or else I'm, I'm, I'm not doing the film. And they were like, ha 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 ha. And then they wrote it into the script, basically into the center of the nice. film. Um, and uh, yeah, it was amazing. You know, working with a low budget, you kind of have to pick and choose um, where you're going to put the money because there's so little of it. And you know, we were all excited about the idea of working with practical effects, something that, you know, um, we're all, we all kind of like grew up on. And, and I think it's, um, you know, it just makes everything, I think a little bit better. And oh, even yeah. when it doesn't really come off, there's a, there's a kind of like, I don't know, there's a, there's, a, I think there's a, an, an amazing quality, uh, to it. And so, uh, yeah. So the idea is we'll work with practical effects and then we have this big centerpiece thing and, that's kind of like where we put a lot of resources. Um, and luckily it like, it, it came off really well. We, we worked with these two guys, um, Brett Schmidt and Greg Pikulski, who are like super young, but super, super, super talented guys who are just kind of like, um, you know, just again, lucky, right there. They when yeah. we approached them to do the film. They were, had just set up their studio and they were just kind of like launching their thing. And so, we kind of like found them right at the right time. Um, 
and they were super game and obviously their work is incredible so really really cool yeah i mean having good practical effects in a movie makes such such a difference particularly now as you know effects are definitely making a comeback in the wake of cgi yeah. fatigue that theater goers are collectively having but uh yeah yeah absolutely absolutely Really cool. This was your first feature, right? You'd done some shorts and stuff in the past. So this being your first feature, were there any big major filmmaking lessons that you, uh, that you learned that you're going to utilize in your next movie? Yeah. I, I, you know, I came out of uh, film school. I had made uh, some shorts there, uh, kind of like one, kind of like a bigger short and well, they're both, you know, of a certain scale. And then, um, I did this HBO program and I made a short with the HBO, which was an entirely different kind of experience. And a lot of, at least at Columbia, a lot of the kind of production experience you have is around shorts. And so, you know, I, the first short I did at Columbia was shot in a, on a back lot in Shanghai. It was like a period piece. And it was, it was a kind of like big movie for a short. And so I felt like I was like, I'm, I'm, I feel pretty prepared. Like I felt, I, I, I feel prepared, you know, this will be like shooting like um, four short films in a row, right? Like the same kind of schedule, but no, it was not like that at all. And, <laughs> um, and yeah, I think the, the thing that really surprised me and maybe this is a little bit like, I don't know, boring, but I was just the kind of like pace mm. um, uh, of, that you have to set and the, the um, kind of like stamina that you have to have in order to shoot a feature is something I wasn't quite prepared for. Mm. Um, you know, and uh, we were shooting, we shot uh, alternating six day and five day weeks with only a day break in between. So basically we shot 22 days and I had three days off. Whoa. And it was like, <laughs> It was, it was super, it was, uh, it was super, uh, intense. And so, um, that was the kind of like the big lesson for me. I mean, I think that, uh, my process is one of kind of like, I want to be over prepared when I, when I go into set. Right. And so, and, and I learned that from, from film school, which is like, you know, not only shot list, but like floor plans and for, uh, more elaborate things. I like to also have storyboards and, um, which is all to like, you know, so when we, when we, especially moving super quickly, um, everybody knows what's going on. We make the most of our time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it just helps because things will go wrong. And the thing that you so meticulously planned will not, not be possible. And having a, a clear idea of what you're trying to do really is beneficial when you aren't able to do that thing. And, and it, it really helps to be able to, to kind of like improvise a, a, a new solution for, for thing, anything that might arise. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's critical for filmmakers because typically you'll have these big grand ideas and very specific ideas, but when it comes time to film them, they may or may not work out. So having some sort of a guiding star for your movie, something that you can always lean on, whether you would call that a vision or, you know, what have you, but a, just a general sense of what you're trying to accomplish seems like that's a critical part because you're going to have to adapt on a dime as you're filming. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, either a lot of people do it a lot of different ways and, you know, there are some people who are very loose and come in without a, a real plan to figure it out. But, you know, just for me knowing that we <laughs> didn't have a lot of time and, 
it just felt like the kind of smartest thing, the smartest thing to do. Nice. So looking at the finish, the film in its entirety right now, what would you have invested more in and what would you have invested less in? I don't necessarily mean money. It could be time, effort, energy, or money, mm. but what would you have invested in more? What would you have invested in less? <laughs> um, I know we talked about like, um, I don't know. I mean, I, it feels like, you know, we talked about this earlier, but it feels like if we had invested more, oh, no, I would, I would have, I would have gotten more money for, for, for practical effects. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of things that, you know, we, there's a, a scene where, there's a spoiler where like, um, people kind of start exploding. Oh, and yeah. The original idea was for that scene was that, um, a big winged demon was supposed to fly down and, and, and swoop up some people, but Ooh. like we could not, uh, obviously we could not afford that. And so that was, you know, making the people explode was a the thing that I, <laughs> that I kind of like, uh, I was like, well, I can do this or, you know, like making glass or, or like, you know, doing like, we couldn't afford a zoom lens. I would have liked to use a zoom lens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we had to use the, the the basically the kind of like cheapest dolly you could find. I would have had liked to have something a little bit better there. I mean, it feels like, um, you know, I think for what we had, I, I tried to make the most kind of uh, uh, visually exciting film. But um, yeah, there there are ideas and, and things I have that I, that uh, definitely in the next one, um, we're, you know, uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do. But um, nice. Yeah, I, I think that and, you know, maybe a little bit more time and less. I don't know. What do people usually say when you ask them to spend less time on? Um, I wouldn't spend a lot of time. I've heard shot listing. Some people say they'll spend less time shot. List. Most people just avoid the less part. <laughs> but uh, yeah, either shot listing or overthinking the writing and the story. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I you know, I think that. We we benefited from not having a lot, so I don't know that we have spent less time. I do think that you know I, I edited the film and I, I basically edit all of the stuff that I make, and I think in the future I that was kind of a longer process because we finished we wrapped basically in November, and then I spent the better part of the next year editing the film by myself. Oh wow! Um, yeah, I wish that that I definitely want to make that process shorter. Mm. And I think that um, I'm. I want to find like a an editing collaborator <laughs> who uh, to to work with. You know, basically find an editor. Um, uh, so that isn't such a protracted process, right? You know? Right. Yeah. But I mean, basically, you know, I became an editor because I we didn't again did not have a lot of money, so I would spend endless hours cutting the film and we didn't have, we, you know, we weren't paying me hourly. So right. Right. That's one of the, it's, it's one of the ways that we, that we saved money. So. Gotcha. So how did uh, shutter and Fangoria get involved? How did shutter and Fangoria get involved? So I, I basically, so we, our film premiered at South by Southwest, mm-hmm. uh, rest in peace. South by Southwest. Oh, right. Uh, uh, which is an, an, an amazing experience. That festival is just balls to the walls bonkers. My heart really breaks for the filmmakers who were supposed to yeah. show there this year. Um, it you know, especially for small films, um, having a, a kind of like stage like that to 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 premiere your film is in, in kind of incredible. And so, um, and I know that we had a lot of hopes riding on it, and 
and uh, I can only imagine what those people are going through who aren't uh, aren't able to show their films. But um, yeah, I mean, right now, South by Southwest, we had a, a sales company involved. And they were like, oh, South by Southwest, nobody really gets offers at South by Southwest. It's more of a kind of like a fun festival. And it's not it's not the kind of like, you know, like a Toronto or a, a Sundance as far as like making big sales or whatever. Right. Um, but we luckily uh, had some interest kind of like out of the gate. And so we had a bunch of uh, different off- uh, offers and um, it was a kind of a combination of people coming to the table and uh, when we heard that like Fangoria was interested we were just just like oh everybody like kind of like picked up and we're like oh my god um (laughs) and and we got we all got super we all got super super excited uh because um they're amazing you know Shutter was uh, interested and we were able to do a I think a kind of deal where um through Fangoria, they partner with Shutter, and you know we kind of got the best of all all worlds. In the, yeah, in the, in the end, very cool. So, last couple of questions. Um, as far as filmmaking and directing and writing, there's so many books out there and courses and a lot of resources, but uh, a lot sure. of them are written and made by people who haven't actually done it. So, there's just the, the whole market is just there's a lot of bullshit there. But were there any, as a filmmaker, were there any right. formidable courses or books for you, either in from film school or now or in general, either for your career, creative process, or directorial ability? <clears throat> And I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. Uh, <laughs> wait a minute. Um, so, I mean, the the big kind of like uh, mind uh, blowing book for me was a book by Alexander McKendrick called, called "On Filmmaking." Mm. This is an incredible book. He he uh, he directed "The Sweet Smell of Success," and you know, it was an, an amazingly like, British filmmaker. But this is it's a kind of like. I don't know. I, you know, that book and the Sydney Lumet book, I, yeah. I, I find to be amazing. The Sydney Lumet book is so great because he just walks you through his entire, like, you know, we, we rent out this space and then the actors arrive and they, you know, they they eat muffins and, and then, and, and then have juice. And then we read through the script and we talk about that. And he's so open about his, uh, process and his day-to-day stuff and it really makes you you know i think a lot of um a lot of it is uh what what i enjoy about reading stuff like that is it's demystifying Mm. you know i I felt for for a long time i didn't really even approach uh being a filmmaker because i felt like someone had to give me permission right this kind of um this thing where there's a, a certain kind of exclusivity. And uh, I, I think that the, the great thing about the Lumet book is that, um, you know, it, he kind of like breaks all that down and you know, he's, he's talking about these great actors, but also how, you know, they're just people and they're insecure. And, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and yeah, and the McKendrick book is more, a little bit more kind of, a you know, esoteric but there's just a, an amazing uh like kind of like mind expanding thing about the possibility of cinema those and then uh the walter merch book in the blink of an eye oh yeah uh, that's a great one a bit, yeah but i mean basically i my kind of like where i come at filmmaking is from uh with a, a little bit of the mindset of an editor and so that book is su- like super great and um there's also an interview book with uh, Walter Merchant, uh, Michael Ndache, 
which is a super, super, super great book to read. Um, and people should check that out. But basically, um, yeah, I, I, because I was like, oh, I, I will never be able to direct a film, you know, before film school. And, but I had taught myself how to, to do editing stuff. And so, uh, when I'm on set, I, I am thinking like an editor, I'm like cutting it all together kind of in my mind as we're hmm. shooting it. And so, um, yeah, the, the merch book is, is great. Awesome. Well, cool, man. What's next for you? Oh man. So, well, um, Florida was supposed to come out on April 10th in theaters. Yeah. Uh, dude, I'm so sorry, uh, by the way, we're looking at now doing, uh, some sort of like a vert. No, no, it's, you know, like it's, it's, it's like, so I think that, you know, I think everybody's going to come out of this with a, you know, who has a film in, in with, with a kind of crazy story, but yeah. Yeah. I think we're looking now to do there. There are people setting up like these virtual cinemas. Um, uh, and so we're looking to do a, maybe a, a kind of like virtual cinema opening for the theater sometime in April, but it comes out on VOD May 8th. Okay. And then there's a physical in July, and then it'll be fall. What so, happens in the fall? Super excited for that. And then, you know, uh, uh, it starts streaming on Shutter. Oh, great. <clears throat> cool. Yeah. So we're super, super, super excited about that stuff. And, and um, me and, you know, writing, working on the next thing, I'm super excited about that. And, you know, hope to be sharing that, that stuff soon. Nice. Cool. Well, the movie was a it was a whole bunch of fun, and uh, you know I wish a huge congratulations on it. It was a, it was a blast. Any possibility of a sequel? There, there, there have been talks. We definitely have like a collection of ideas, um, and so yeah, it's a it's a I think it's a conversation that we're gonna you know we're we're gonna have. I mean, you know, we'll see how the the film does. Hopefully, people like it. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we're game. We have a we have a, a ton of really like fun ideas. Uh, Very cool, great. For how to spin this out? Awesome. Well, I'll be looking out for it, man. Thank uh, thank you again for taking the time. This was a whole lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Kiela. Okay. Thanks, dude. All right. All right. All right. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Keola Rosella. Number one, always play it straight. When it comes to horror, there are countless movies that are intentionally campy, and as a result, they get cheesy. In some cases, this can be a good thing, but there's a fine line between exploitation and camp. And the way to ensure that your movie is taken seriously is to make sure the actors always play their roles straight and take the material seriously. If the actors wink at the camera too much, the audience just checks out. There are a lot of thoughts on the balance between humor and horror, and in Keola's case, he recommends ensuring that the actors keep their performances dramatic and that you let the humor come from the circumstances. Number two, move fast. Making a film is making a million decisions. Getting hung up on small details can be the silent death of your movie, or at least substantially slow things down. Keola and his filmmaking partners had a very small window to make porno in, and they rose to the occasion. The momentum of the fast-paced pre-production and production imbued the movie with a sense of fun and hustle that was infectious to the cast and crew. In the world of filmmaking, overthinking is the enemy. 
Condensed timelines and limited resources require quick thinking and fast decisiveness, but can also enable opportunities. Many very established directors claim that they actually prefer working on lower budget movies because the limitations of time and money offer more opportunities for creativity. When you can't throw money at a challenge on set, you have to resort to your own resourcefulness and creative ingenuity. And this often results in very interesting and unexpected things happening on camera. There's also a creative Purity that can occur when you're forced to move fast. Effects legend Steve Johnson often talks about how Clive Barker taught him that the first draft of everything is often the closest to the original idea, therefore the most pure. Because of this, it's important to vomit out the first draft of anything as quickly as possible, because the idea is less likely to be at the mercy of being watered down or ruined by overthinking and overdevelopment. Number three, explore grants and programs. Keola applied to be part of the Sundance editing program, whereby he would have gotten a polished editor to work on his movie for free. Considering that he was making a movie about a sex demon that came out of a satanic porn film, it was kind of a long shot for Sundance to consider his movie. But in the end, he didn't get into the editing program, but applying to it got him the opportunity to get his movie scored by a professional composer, which really boosted the production value of the film substantially. So check out grants. Even if you don't think you have a shot at getting them, the application process may yield some unexpected opportunities. Number four, Every film needs a North Star. As a director, you need to have a strong understanding of exactly what you want to accomplish with your film. Not necessarily so you can ensure every single specific detail is accomplished, but so you can come up with plan B when your best laid plans go crashing and burning on production day. Keola mentioned that a number of larger ideas he had for the movie actually didn't work when it came time to shoot, and he had to quickly figure out new solutions right then and there on set. Luckily, he had a very strong vision for his movie and of his characters so he could improvise solutions on the spot without having to go back to the drawing board. The distinction to be made here is not to make your vision for your movie so rigid and precious that every single last detail has to be shot exactly as you pictured it. No, the point is for your vision to be thorough enough to be adaptable to the inevitable trials and tribulations that come with making films. Having this kind of a North Star vision for your movie enables you to have the flexibility to improvise when those best laid plans go to shit on set. Furthermore, not having a solid vision for your film can make you prone to distractions, false starts, and dead ends, none of which serve your film. As the Cheshire Cat said to Alice during her trip to Wonderland, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Knowing your destination enables you to adapt and get to where you're going through a different route when the trouble arises. All of this lets you move at the lightning fast speed required for indie filmmaking, all while remaining completely faithful to your film. Anyway, guys, thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you shared it with your friends and family on social media. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter and the Instagrams at I'm Nick Taylor. That's I am Nick Taylor. Thanks again for listening. Yeah.